When I was in the sixth grade, my parents gave me a gift that Christmas that I was really excited about receiving. I'm sure some of you may remember, this is uh, very old from years and years ago, but also I think they're still available today. And, th and this is not the present, uh, by the way, but this is a symbolic uh, a representation of it. This is called a model, and some of you may have seen these. Maybe you put them together yourself. It can be a car, a boat, a plane, all kinds of things. In here are many, many gray molded pieces and an instruction book, and you bend the pieces back and forth or cut them off winding up with a pile of gray plastic pieces and your instruction book. So uh, my parents gave me this, and uh, I really kept it in my bedroom for several weeks. And one day on a rainy Saturday morning, they were going to the store, and they said, you know, you can go with us or you can stay home, whatever you want to do. And I said, you know, I'd really love to just take some time today and try to put that model together that you gave me. So uh, they left, and I spread newspaper on our dinette table and got the, um, got the box out from that shelf in my bedroom. And the first thing I found was a whole list of uh, directions on how, how to put this plane together. Step by step, you know, you bend the pieces off or you cut them off and then you begin to assemble the thing. <clears throat> and so some of you may bring back some memories. This is what they look like. They're just gray molded plas plastic pieces. Uh, my favorite one was a um, Corvette that I had, my dream car. Red, of course, you know, every, every man my age, going back those years, would love a red Corvette. And uh, I made that Corvette thinking, you know, this is my goal. So far, nothing. You know, I'm driving, I'm driving a Toyota, you know. But, uh, but it's like, it looks like this. And then there's a package with a lot of other small little pieces. And you take all these pieces off and you put them together, you know, and, and then you paint it if you want to. It makes for just a nice thing in a, a guy's bedroom or, or maybe if a lady would be interested, that'd be fine. But uh, I sat there, looked at, looked at everything. I got the directions out and I started reading through them. And it said, take this particular piece and glue uh, tab A into slot A and then glue tab B into slot B. And I started working through that, and for the life of me, I mean, I just confess to you right now, I am not mechanical in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I couldn't find the tabs, and I couldn't find the slots. And I looked and looked, and I just could not seem to figure out where some of those pieces went. And so I thought, you know what, I, I, I'll just go for it. And so I just took my tube of glue. I started gluing pieces together and just having the greatest time, you know, sticking on some decals. The problem was when I got all done, I had a whole handful of plastic pieces. They were supposed to go on the plane somewhere, and uh, I realized that I had glued pieces together, and now those pieces would not fit in the plane anywhere, and it made a major mistake, resulting actually in about a month later, me just going ahead and throwing the whole thing away, which was very, very, very frustrating to me. Now, the one lesson, even at eight or nine years of age, that I learned was simply this. When there is an instruction book, a wise person follows the instructions. <laughs> That's the key. You follow the instructions. And brothers and sisters, you know where I'm going with this. I mean, our Heavenly Father, who knows, knows us, who made us, who knows how we think, how we work, how we feel, gave us an instruction book. And this instruction book tells us how to successfully live our lives every single day. And people of wisdom read it and follow it. And those who may not, may be growing in their wisdom, may not follow it quite as much. But I'm telling you, it's the key. Well, when we're talking about our lo a local church, like we're, uh, we're in here today, 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote an epistle over 2,000 years ago called the Book of Ephesians. And in this book, one of the things he talks about is, you know, the life of the church of Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, is the most significant institution on the face of the earth. There's not an organization more important or who does more impactful things in the lives of people than the church. So he says, when you're building your church, here are some directions. And they're very important. And if you follow them, things go really well. If you don't follow them, the results aren't quite as good. The title of our message today is God's plan for the church to grow. God's plan for the church to grow. Let me just mention, if you have your Bibles, I'm using the New American Standard here today. But if you have your Bibles, please feel free to open to Ephesians 4. But let me mention that Kathy put uh, all of the text in the bulletin today, which was incredibly helpful. So if you want to just open your bulletin and follow along, what I'd love to have you do, though, is I need to have you reading the Scripture along with me and following along as we're looking here, because we're going to be talking about phrases and words. But the idea is this. How does a church grow? What are the important factors in a church that grows? I want to give you three today. Three specific things right from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Our text is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. What we want to do is lead, uh, is read, um, it, it's 11 through 16. We want to read the first three verses, and then toward the end of the sermon, we'll read the last three. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian elders, Ephesian uh, church, he says this, beginning in verse 11, and he, meaning Jesus there, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to two things, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, number one, and the knowledge of the Son of God, goal number two, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So in this first section we want to talk about today, we see that Paul says in verse 11, there is a very, very major piece that every healthy church needs, and it's proper leadership, the proper leadership. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. And why did Jesus give these to the church, Paul says? It's simply, brothers and sisters, because of this. When it comes to a healthy, growing church that really is making a difference, Leadership is one of the key elements. Having good leadership, absolutely critical. In the church, as within other organizations, John Maxwell says almost everything comes down to leadership. Everything comes down to leadership. About 27 years ago, I received my first telephone call from a church who called me and said, we're having some problems in our church. Could you just come and, and talk to our elders and help us out? And that kind of opened a door for a church consulting ministry I've had for all of these years. Been in all kinds of places. One, let me just say, been, been in over 800 churches in the last 25, 27 years. Here's one thing I know for sure. I will never say, now I've seen it all. Don't, don't just say that. <laughs> That's a mistake. Every time I say that, the next week something comes up that uh, I have never seen before, for sure. It's been, been a very interesting, been a very, very enriching experience for me to be involved with that many, many congregations, uh, for sure. Brothers and sisters, listen to me today. When I take all of those churches and put them together and I analyze what I experienced and what, what I uh, saw in working with those churches, there's one thing I know absolutely without question for sure. Listen to me this morning. One thing. As the leadership of a church goes, so goes the church. 
It's absolutely true. It'll always be true. As the leadership team of a church goes, so goes the church. And let me just mention today that I've had a chance to meet with the elders of this congregation on a number of occasions. And I will tell you that you have a good group of men leading this church. I'll tell you, they love this church. And they're dedicated to this church, wanting to do the very best they can at every turn. And I want you to pray for them, for sure, and for our church staff as well. But we, we just know this. This is a basic principle that Paul is talking about here. To have a healthy church that has really grown, you ha must have a solid leadership base. It all comes down to the leadership. I received a phone call from a church in Indiana. probably been a good 10 years ago. And they said, we are in a small town. It's only about 6,000 people. You know, but we started, this church started 104 years ago, and we've always run between 60 and 80 for 104 years, never really gone much over 80, and we hired a new minister, and he came in, and uh, we are averaging just a little over 300 right now, and our building is the original building that was built. It's 104 years old, and we need to build a new building. One of our farmers donated 10 acres of land, so we've got the land right on the main artery coming into town. And uh, we need to build a building, but none of us have been through that, and we don't know how to go about doing that. So I went over and spent an evening with the elders and the staff and just talked about a plan that they could think about using and getting their new building started. It's interesting to me, though, that for 104, 103, 102 years, this church remained about the same, but with a new leader, with someone who came in who maybe had the gift of leading, knowing what to do in a town that size. Uh, they were baptizing all kinds of young people and adults uh, into Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, please listen to me today. When it comes down to a healthy church, one of the main things you must have in place is solid leaders. Men and women, we pray for, they receive training, receive encouragement, and, and these men and women are our leaders in our church and help the church and grow the church. It's just a very, very critical point about having a good church. According to the Apostle Paul, when we continue to develop spiritual men who are qualified, men and women, who will minister in the name of Christ in effective, gifted ways, things definitely happen. So I would ask today that you pray for the elders of this church and pray for the staff. Would you pray for their families as well? That's very important. Lift their families up. And also, let me just ask this. God already knows who the new minister of this church is going to be. He, he already knows. He's picked someone to do that. He's arranging the furniture right now, moving things around to get the connection and to bring this gentleman and his family here. But the Lord knows if you prayed for the new minister of your church, God, God would recognize that prayer. Can I just ask you, can I just ask you every day, between now and when they arrive, and then continuing on, of course. But would you pray for your new minister right now? And I know the Lord would answer that prayer and would recognize that. So the first critical element to the life of a healthy, growing church is that there is a good, qualified, spiritual, God-loving leadership team, the elders and the staff, and other key people, lay people in the church, who very much are significant leaders as well. That's the first first point that's so critical. Second point is this, that you must have a proper plan as well. And Paul says here in verse 11, he says, God gave to the church leaders. And then in verse 12, he said, these leaders were given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, the proper plan. And what is that plan? It simply comes down to this, that every person in our auditorium today, every person who considers them to be, themselves to be a member of our church, uh, has 
one or more spiritual gifts that, that the Holy that Scripture says the Holy Spirit decided uh, to give you. It says the Holy Spirit decides who gets who gets what gifts. And every person here has spiritual gifts. It's, it's amazing. There are people in this auditorium who have huge leadership gifts. There are people here, here who are excellent managers, manage so well. People with financial gifts, people with teaching gifts and preaching, people with the gifts of, of organization, of helps, of mercy, of love, of hospitality. There are just tons of gifts, and, and our church is full of people with those gifts. And today, let me share with you one of the main things that a healthy church needs is for the gifts of the members of the church to be used, Scripture says, to edify the church and to build the church up. Uh, I know that I mentioned this last week. Do you mind if I just mention it again? In the, in the evangelical church today, we have been lulled into this mindset by Satan, I think, more than anybody else. We've been taught, and, and the, the leadership of the church doesn't mean to teach this. It goes back literally hundreds and hundreds of years but many of us come into the church and we think our main job is just really to come to church on Sunday, give an offering, and to be, be morally good, you know, in, in, in our lives day to day. And while all three of those things are very important, they're all three very important, brothers and sisters, that is the beginning place for a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the main things that would be a huge blessing to this church is for every person in this room today to find out what their spiritual gift is and to begin to really minister to the body in some way. If, if you know what your gift is, using that gift specifically, you might say, well, I'm not really sure what my gift is. I, I would say to you, well, let me just ask this, what, what do you enjoy doing? What do you like to do? You know, I remember as a 15-year-old, I preached my first sermon to our home church there in northern Kentucky. They gave me 25 minutes to preach had my sermon all done. I preached everything with great gusto and passion, and I was done in six minutes. So I, I just went back, did the whole thing again. I just preached all the way through it again the second time. I got to 12 minutes. That was all I had, you know. And uh, from that evening on, from that evening on, I knew what the Lord was calling me to do, you know. It was to preach and teach in the body of Christ until I went home. That's exactly what I was supposed to do. What, what, what do you enjoy doing? You know, what do you seem to do well? What, what, what is your passion in life? Can that be transferred into the body of Christ where you're using those skills and abilities to make a difference in the life of this church? I preached a series of sermons on this years ago in a congregation where I was ministering, and one of our wonderful, wonderful ladies with the gift of mercy and the gift of hospitality, she came up to me after the, the, church, the church service, and she said, Dave, I heard what you said about spiritual gifts and that everybody has one or more, and I just want to tell you that when they were giving the gifts out, I must have been out in the hallway because I don't have a spiritual gift. And I said, Judy, I know you have the gift of hospitality and the gift of mercy. You're, you're such a servant. She said, well, I just don't recognize it. I, I don't see it. And I said, well, let me make this suggestion, I'm just suggesting this. We have three men in our church who are widowers. Two live in a nursing home, and one lives by himself in, in his home. And I know we should do a better job at reaching out to those men and encouraging them. I said, can I just suggest this? Could you bake a small loaf of banana nut bread once a month and take it over to each one of them, the two men in the nursing home? By the way, the banana nut bread Judy made was used with a substance we rarely hear about today. It's called flour, you know. It uh, didn't come squeezed out of a tube. She actually mixed it up and made it herself. And, and uh, she made incredibly good baked goods. And so anyway, she took these loaves of bread to these two men, 
and the man in his home. And I ask her to do this. Uh, call ahead, make, make an appointment, go to the person's home where they are, the nursing home, give them the banana nut bread, and then just would you just sit down and just talk with them for 20 minutes and just ask them about how they're feeling and about their family and, and just engage them in conversation. Maybe then have a word of prayer with them before you, before you leave. And she said to me, that doesn't sound like very much. And I said, Judy, that would be huge, a huge area of ministry in the church. Well, she decided she would do that. Came back and told me she'd done it then, you know, that during that next month, and that this seemed to go very well. Brothers and sisters, after three months, those men thought the sun rose and set on that woman. She had such a ministry of love and encouragement to them and, and, and helping them. Um, she was down at the nursing home visiting the two men down there from our church, and the director of the nursing home caught her in the hallway, and he said, hey, aren't you a member of First Christian Church here? She said, yes, I am. And he said, do, do I remember that you have a closet full of, like, Bible videos, like David and Goliath and the flood? And she said, well, we actually do have a pretty nice library of those. He said, could you bring a couple of those down to the nursing home here? Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock. We will wheel all of the patrons out into the solarium, and we have the big screen TV and all. And you, if you would just play those for our, our, uh, our people, I know they would enjoy those. It would be a nice activity for them. She said, well, no, I'm, I'm not a teacher. And he said, no, no, no teaching. Just bring the videos down and play them. And she said, well, yeah, I mean, I could do that. So the next Tuesday she went and had everybody there. When she arrived, she put the videos in, <coughs> excuse me, on the big screen. Uh, she uh, played these videos. After it was done, she was just walking up to get the videos, and the guy over here in the corner raises his hand. You know, she said, I saw his hand go up, and I looked the other way, you know. But she said all of the people in the sitting there in front of her started going, you know, like this. And so she said she stopped and said yes. And the guy asked her a question about one of the videos. And she said it was so funny. She doesn't even remember what her response was. She didn't remember what she said. She was so nervous. She started going down every Tuesday showing these videos. And after a few months, guess what happened? She stopped using the videos. She started teaching down there every Tuesday morning. And I was back at the church about 10 years after this, and I saw, I saw Judy and her husband and spoke to them. And one of the deacons came and got me, and he said, hey, come here, I want to show you something. So we walked down the long hallway into the gymnasium. You all, there were 100 women in the gymnasium in a women's Sunday school class, and guess who the teacher was? It was Judy. And one woman came to me that morning and said, you know what, three years ago, through her teaching and encouragement and through a lot of phone conversations, she saved my marriage. She saved our marriage. And I'll owe her forever. And I stood back and looked at all that, and I said to myself, you know, very, very interesting. All of this from a woman who had no spiritual gifts. Just, just amazing to me. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you, you have been gifted by God, whether you under, understand or know that or not. That's what Scripture says. Every one of us has been given gifts and abilities. And let me just tell you what would happen. We, there is a massive, massive sleeping giant in this room and in our first service that would impact this city and this county and even your impact around the world if we all simply did what Paul says and if the leaders of the church are developing the members of the church and encouraging them and recruiting them in areas of ministry. The ministry does not have to happen in this building. 
As a matter of fact, a lot of it should happen outside this building. Get the church out of the building and, 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 and into our community. I'm just telling you that massive things could happen for the gospel in this city and in this county if the members of the church were using their skills and abilities. If you think you have something that God is calling you to do, some gift, some ministry that you could do, can I just invite you, would you just call the church office this week, call Kathy, and she'll transfer you to some, and by the way, I, I'm sorry, I did not check with the staff about this. I hope this is okay for me to ask you to do this. Just call the church and say, you know, I think I, think I could do this, or if I could talk to somebody about doing that. Uh, if we could ever raise up the giftedness of a congregation, I'm telling you that the impact would be massive. It's exactly what Paul says. What do the leaders do? They train the members of the church to do the ministry. I, I have classes on a regular basis with men and women. The only thing they're going to do is lead the church when they graduate, men and women going into ministry. And one of the main lessons I teach them is this. In light of Ephesians 4, here's the situation. Your main job is not to do ministry. That's not your main job. I mean, you, you will do ministry for sure, but according to Paul, your main job is to train other people to do ministry. It's the one big missing piece in the life of a church that really wants to impact their, 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 their community and, and, their, and their county for sure. So brothers and sisters, use your spiritual gifts. You know, make sure, make sure the Lord is exalted in the things that you're doing. And I know it would be a huge blessing to this church. The third piece and final piece we want to talk about today is simply the idea of the proper goals. Proper goals, verse 11. So we have the proper leadership, we have the proper plan, which is every Christian using their skills and abilities for Christ. Then we have the proper goals. And this comes in verse 13 of our text, where read it along with me if you would. Follow along as I read. Paul writes and says, leaders develop the gifts of the congregation until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's goal one the unity of the faith, goal two, and of a knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So what is verse 13 saying? It says this. We as a church have one of our main goals to basically be, be this. It's the unity of the faith. And what does Paul mean by that? The first thing he means is that we must all be on the same page when, when it comes to, to uh, biblically. We must believe, you know, the inspiration of Scripture, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, His virgin birth, His second coming. You know, we believe together. We have a unity in terms of our faith, the things we believe. But the other part of what Paul is saying here is there must be a general unity in the life of the congregation. You know, loving one another, serving together as a team, you know, moving out. The idea that we're unified in our hearts and in our minds. And remember from my very first sermon I talked about the fact that that is one of the main things that Satan is striking at the heart of this congregation about right now. And I would just plead with you, brothers and sisters, not to let him win. Not to let him win. And to invest your heart, communication, whatever it is that we need to do to make sure that our unity is preserved very much so. So the unity of the faith is the first goal that we're unified. But the second goal here, he says, is and a knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to think about that phrase for just a moment, a knowledge of the Son of God. What does, he, what does he mean there? What he means is this. In our day and time, we need to study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we need to find out as much as we can about Jesus. What kind of a person was he? What did he like? 
what was important to him, what was his philosophy of life, you know, who was he, what, did, what made him angry and frustrated. And we find out everything we can about Jesus with this purpose in mind, that we grow in our spiritual lives to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can become. That is the ultimate goal, you personally, a knowledge of the Son of God. So he says, so that we will, uh, we will uh, 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 grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. And then he goes on and says, to a mature man or a mature woman. See, see those words? The knowledge of the Son of God will lead you to a certain level of spiritual maturity. certain level of spiritual maturity. The word that's used here for mature is a very interesting word in the Greek text. The word is teleos. And the word simply means something that is mature, it's finished, it's complete, something has grown up, it's ready to be used. One ancient Greek writer wrote and said, on your kitchen cabinet when you have a bowl of fruit and it is absolutely, totally mature and ripe and will go bad in a day or two if you don't eat it, he said, that fruit is teleos. It was used to describe uh, uh, teachers, policemen during the time of Paul, soldiers, rabbis, parents were also called teleos. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. And just before he died, it says he shouts out with a loud voice and he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's completed. That's also this word here. And the idea is that we grow to a level of maturity in our faith. We mature. It's like having a child and seeing the child grow up and mature. That's the idea behind this word. And let me just mention today that in the life of the church of Jesus Christ, the number one problem we face, the number one problem is what Juan Carlos Ortiz calls the perpetual childhood of the believer. The perpetual childhood of the believer. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it's so possible in so many of our churches to, for a person to be baptized, be given their baptismal certificate and a new Bible and a Sunday school class, and then we say, okay, hey, there you go. Are you okay? There you go, you know. And I know that there are thousands and thousands of believers in Jesus Christ, you know, who, who never grow a whole lot beyond that baptism experience and stay at that same spiritual maturity level for 20 years, for years and years. And what Paul is saying here is this. When you become a believer in Christ, through the practice of the spiritual disciplines, God is calling you to grow in your faith. To a mature man, he says, or a mature woman. That's his ultimate goal for us. But then Paul qualifies it one more time. And this is where the hard part comes in. Paul says, that you grow in your knowledge of the Son of God, which will lead you to a mature man, being a mature man or a mature woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What does he mean there? This is what he means. That you have Bible study and you develop your prayer life and fasting becomes maybe part of your regimen. But the spiritual disciplines really start to become part of you over the coming months and the coming years to the place that somewhere, sometime, someplace, someone, a neighbor, a co-worker, family member, someone comes to you and says, you know, I know that Jesus is not here physically. I understand that. But if he were here, you remind me so much of what Jesus must have been like. That's what Paul is saying. You remind me so, I know he's not here, but, but if he were here, you remind me of what he would have been like. Brothers and sisters, that's the ultimate goal. 
the ultimate goal, that we become as much like Jesus in our daily workaday lives, our daily family lives, that, that, that someone will mistake you for Jesus someday. Now, when you have that working in the life of a church, you've got good leadership, solid leadership. You've got a plan where the members of the church are making a contribution of their lives and their energies and their ministries. And we're working on our unity together and we're working on maturing the lives of all the members of our church. When we have that together, then verses 13 through 16 come into play. Look at your bulletin or your Bible, if you would. Just follow along. Paul says, as a result, okay, what, what? As a result of what? As a result of the leadership and people using their abilities and people growing in their faith, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, no longer to be children. The number one problem in the church, not seeing our people grow up in their faith and mature, we're no longer, and then he describes children. Here are children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up. He says, we are to grow up. To grow up, he says. We are to grow up. To grow up. He says, we are to grow up, he says. We are to grow up. Up, to, to grow up. He's, would you just repeat that with me? We are to grow up, yes. He says, we are to grow up in our faith in all aspects, in every area of our lives, unto him who is the head, even Christ. Then, coming to verse 16, the capstone is put on this whole scripture. He says, from whom, Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, and look at this, brothers and sisters, According to the proper working of each individual part, each Christian, the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What is Paul saying here? He's saying when you have solid leader, a solid leadership team, your elders, your staff, the people in the church who are leading, you know, when the members of the church are really making, making the congregation their own and using their gifts and abilities, and when we work on unity and when each of us are growing in our spiritual lives, he says, you don't need a lot of fancy uh, uh, tricks and programs. He says, this will cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This will cause the growth of the body. Somebody said to me a number of, number of uh, years ago, tell me the very best book you've read on church growth in the last year. I said, hands down, I can tell you right now, it's the book of Ephesians. <laughs> it is the best book I've read on how to grow a healthy church. And brothers and sisters, this is the Lord's heart for this congregation. God does not want this church to be a mediocre church. God does not want this church just to show up and have church and, and, and go, go to the buffet after, you know, after, after services. He wants this church to make an impact, a serious impact here in this city, in this county, in the state, and as Jesus said, around the world as well. And how do we do that? Paul says, I'm giving you the formula right here. I'm telling you. When there's a strong spiritual leadership team, which I really believe you have, when the, when the members of the church really will invest themselves and, and, and take part and own the church and be part of it and be investing themselves, and when we figure out that unity is the key, a house divided against itself cannot stand, when unity is so important, and we basically do this, we all pursue personal spiritual growth in our lives. Paul says, I promise you, 
He says, I guarantee this will cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Brothers and sisters, I've been in a lot of churches in my career, seen a lot of different things. I'm not blowing smoke. I don't have to say this. I really don't. I'm not blowing smoke this morning. Trust me. This church has massive potential for the future. You know, when you go in as a consultant, you look for specific things, for certain things. This church has a ton of that stuff already here. You're already there. It simply needs to be focused and matured and grown up. I have a real challenge for you today, real challenge for you. When you go and speak somewhere as an invited speaker, it's rude to ask, to invite yourself back to speak again. You're not supposed to do that. So would you just extend me a little grace here this morning? Is I, Can I ask you to call me someday and ask me to come back and just speak in your Sunday morning services? I, I would love to do that. I love this church. love being here. But you tell me the problem is that there are four morning worship services now to handle all the crowd. And after church, you'd like for me to meet with the 16 full-time pastors and, and men and women that you have on your staff. And, uh, and, you, and you want to talk about where the church goes next. Uh, brothers and sisters, I tell you, if you call me, I will come back. I really will. And I'll rejoice in you. I just want to tell you today from an outsider's viewpoint, you know, that this church is loaded with potential for the future. And I think we need to step into that future and we need to follow Paul's plan. And we really need to make happen in the life of this church the very things that, that God has talked about. So such wisdom in Scripture. Paul says, in the life of a church, Ephesians, you need a strong leadership core. You must have the members of the church involved more than just coming on Sunday morning, using their gifts, and you must have the proper goals. And when you have those things in place, the result is the church just normally grows because of the power of each of those things. So brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you today. You may say to me, you know what, uh, our town is not that big. And I, can, can, could we really be a church of 2,000 someday here in this place? I want you to know I have a good friend in Kansas. His church is so far out in the cornfield that the closest gas station is six miles from his church. They're running over 2,200 in this congregation out in nowhere. So I know for a fact that if we have faith and we have vision and we believe in the life of this church, God can do unbelievable, amazing things in the life of this congregation. Let me just tell you this morning, I know he, I know he can, and, and I know he will. So I will be waiting for your call and praying God's richest and greatest blessings on you as you continue to, to do, do the work and the will of God here in this place. Let's bow together in prayer. Holy Father, we want to thank you today for the amazing things here in the book of Ephesians about a healthy church and how the church is supposed to grow. Father, I want to thank you for this congregation. I thank you for every man in this room today, for every woman, every young person. Father, I know you want to work in their lives. I know you want to grow them and stretch them and mature them and deepen them in all kinds of ways. Father, would you give us the wisdom and the discernment to search your word, to figure out how a healthy church operates, and then, Father, to begin to do those things in concrete terms so we can really fulfill your mission and your will for this congregation. Father, we love you, and we honor you today, and just pray you would use us in every way possible. 
And we lift up this service and this prayer today in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.